Church, I'll be continuing uh, the sermon series about questions from God this year as we begin 2024 looking to the Bible for the questions that God asks. Um, and by extension, God asks us in Scripture. And today, uh, the question is, what are you doing here? Here on January 14th, 2024 at Wake Forest UMC. Last week, the question was, where are you? And last week, the focus was on not hiding from God or hiding parts of our hearts from God's, but being open to God and open to that relationship with God and having the courage uh, to trust that God is graceful and loves you to come out and step and be honest with God. Today, the second question that we're having in this series is, what are you doing here? I'll be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is a book in the Old Testament, and it's a story of a prophet, and in the Bible in particular, the Old Testament, we have a lot of prophets who were ordained by God to go out and to proclaim God's word. Elijah was perhaps one of the most famous, if not the most famous prophet in the Old Testament. And at this point in his ministry and life, he is having death threats from the people in charge because he's had the burden of speaking truth to power, people in charge, where God's voice was different. And a lot of times when you raise your voice in situations, it can lead to conflict and social isolation. And that's where Elijah is today. He is at a point where he is literally running for his life. I'll begin with verse 3 and read a little bit further than I had in the bulletin. I'll read through verse 13. This is a new revised standard version. Then Elijah was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate a drink. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. 
I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And the fire afterwards was a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. There they came to a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Church, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross so that our focus remains on you and not on me. May your Holy Spirit work in our lives so that we encounter you today in worship. And when we leave and are sent forth, what we say and do and think reflects more of Jesus. Amen. What are you doing here this morning? Now, that question um, is not, uh, what are you doing after worship, right? I think a lot of times we get so busy on what's next, you know, what we're doing or how we're doing it. We sometimes look at our calendar. Maybe you have a calendar you flip through of daily activities. Maybe you have a Google calendar that pops up reminders on your phone or your, your watch, right? And this is what I'm doing next. So the question today is not, what are you doing after worship, or what's on your grocery list, or what happens later today, or what time the football game is, although that's important to a lot of people, understand that. It's more a question about purpose, meaning, and impetus. God's asking, what? are you doing here? It's kind of the why behind why you're here today. God asked Elijah, why, or rather, what are you doing here? Now, sometimes, what are you doing here? We use that language, right? We might use that as curiosity. I'm curious. What are you doing here? I'm curious about that. We had a new uh, staff member. His name is Austin Holland. He's the director of youth and family ministry. And he's sitting right here, <laughs> and he has an incredible office. He moved in his office, and his office is so much more cool than mine right now, right? <laughs> he has it set up for, for organization, uh, for productivity, for creativity, right? He has, all, he has a, a heater that heats it, the temperature he wants. He has a very good imagination board. He's got his books in order. He's got his computer set up. He's got it. It is so cool. And so I would go in, like, every week I'd go in, I'm curious, what are you doing here? This is amazing, right? <laughs> it's a curiosity question. Now, other times, it could be a question of frustration, right? Frustration. Somebody come to you and said, what are you doing here, right? A frustration. Years ago, when my sons were very, very little, uh, I don't remember their ages. They were very young, and we were teaching them to swim, swimming lessons. It was important to us that Andrew and Reese knew how to swim. And so we took them for swimming lessons. And they were 
maybe, I'm assuming this is before kindergarten, if I remember right. They were very young. And at swimming lessons at that time, it might be different today, I don't know. The first thing they teach kids to do is, you know, feel comfortable in the water and what? Blow bubbles, right? Blow bubbles, right? They would blow bubbles in the pool, right? You know, blow bubbles in the water, right? And so I'm in our house one day um, in Alabaster, and Lisa's out of town. This stuff always happens when, when she's out of town, right? Lisa's out of town, and I'm home on a Saturday, and we had swimming lessons that morning. And I'm in the kitchen cooking, and we had a bathroom kind of under our staircase at the time, a little half bath, right? And I hear this menacing laughter, right? Kind of muffled, menacing laughter coming from the bathroom, right? And I'm like, that's weird. And then I heard this sound that didn't sound right coming from the bathroom because it sounded like bubbles. And so, so I go in there and I walk in and, and Andrew has convinced his younger brother to blow bubbles in the toilet water. <laughs> and so, yeah, I walk into the half bath and the seat's up, right? And Reese's head is fully immersed in the toilet, blowing bubbles, right? And Andrew's just laughing, trying to control his laughter. And I say, what are you doing here? And Reese looks up smiling, and the water's just rolling off his chin, down his shirt, right? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? And then Andrew just falls over in laughter, right? And I immediately take Reese and scrub him from head to toe, brush his teeth. You know, I call the doctor, what should I do? You know, I didn't tell Lisa about it for a long time after that, right? So sometimes what are you doing here can be curiosity, and sometimes it can be frustration, and sometimes it can be something deep and meaningful, right? What's your purpose? What's your impetus? What are you doing here, God says? What are you doing here on January 14th, 2024, in worship here watching online? What are you doing? And... The scripture this morning, Elijah's context may be different than ours. I think the question is very contextual. What are you doing here? For each of us, in Elijah's context, he was, as the song would say, he's a man on the run, right? He's running for his life. Um, You know, he's the last one left. People want his head on a platter. Um, He's in trouble. So he runs. He runs out into the wilderness away from substance. At that point, you heard the text. He's just given up hope. He says it'd be better if I just would pass on. It'd be better if I die. He's malnourished. Um, He's socially isolated. He's exhausted. He is tired. And perhaps God wants to ask Elijah the question, what are you doing here? But if you notice, God waits. The first thing that God does to the malnourished, exhausted, and socially isolated Elijah is God cares for Elijah. God sends an angel that gently wakes him up, gently stirs him, and provides physical substance. Here's cakes and water. Eat and drink. Elijah goes back to bed. God shows up again to provide more care. Here's some more physical substance. Here's cakes and water. Eat and drink. And Elijah goes on, and, and there's a cave. There's a cave to find shelter. 
God provides food and shelter. Now, cave may not sound that bougie, right? But there were no Holiday Inn Expresses <laughs> in this time. Um, a cave was great. It provided shelter from the wind, the rain, predators. So God provided physical nourishment. God provided shelter. A theologian says God provided this enveloping presence. So he did not feel alone. And then God reconnected this relationship so Elijah did not feel isolated. God's care was physical. It was food and water. It was shelter. It was presence. This, this thick, rich presence. And it was reestablishing a relationship so he did not feel socially isolated. If we ever get to the point where we're burnt out and we're done, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're hungry, we're alone, God knows it's not the time to ask us, what are you doing here? That's the time to come in and meet our needs. So this morning, if you're here, you're exhausted, you're tired, you feel socially isolated, you're, you're wore out, today the message might be different. It might be, how can we as a church care for you? How can you experience God's care today? If we're people who are not in that place and we feel like we have some of our needs met or most of our needs met, the question for us is, what are you doing here? Once Elijah had had all that nourishment and care and shelter and relationship, then God shows up through the angel. What are you doing here? And then you heard the story, right? The earthquake and and the rumblings and, and the fire and all these things happen. And then the quiet, right? The Lord passes by. You know, what are you doing here this morning? And what are you doing here, choir? That's the question we have to stop to answer. It's hard to answer that question if we're going, going, going. We have to stop and be intentional and then tell God all in our life that brought us here. God, this is what brought me to January 14th, 2024. Here's where I've been hurt. Here's where I've hurt others. Here's where I need healing. Here's where I need to bring healing. Here is where I have some destructive behaviors that I need to put in your light. Those are things we bring before God and then we give God a chance to answer those questions. What are you doing here this morning? I think a temptation that we have as people who, who worship is that we live in a consumeristic economy. Everybody here is a consumer because we buy things. We consume. One of my favorite podcasts is Planet Money. I listen to it a lot. And I hear a lot about consumers. Economists talk about uh, consumer confidence and how that drives the market. And consumer confidence is down. That's a problem. Consumer confidence is good. Or else they might say consumers work out the problem over time with their choices, with their preferences, how they spend their money. Their preferences work things out. I think we're called here today, what you're doing here, my hope and prayer is what you're doing here, is to live into this calling that we're all here to encounter God 
that power of God through Jesus. We may not have that tactile experience Elijah had, but like Elijah encountered God that day, our prayer in worship and our prayer as worship leaders is that we all encounter God this morning in our own way. And we encounter God so that we can be a more faithful disciple of Jesus. And as human beings, I'm the same, we're tempted to be consumers, even in worship and church, like everywhere else. And there's a difference between being a consumer and being a disciple. Consumers, we're big on preferences. Our preferences matter. And at church, we all have preferences about worship. And it's not that preferences are immaterial. But when preferences become the main thing we're looking for in church, we'll never be satisfied. Because if I surveyed everybody out here today, I would have so many preferences on what worship should be like, what we should do and shouldn't do, what missions we should and shouldn't do. You know, I would have so many preferences. And God invites us to put that aside. Let's focus on the big questions of following Jesus. That's what's most important. Another temptation we have is to feel like, and this is me too, feel like you're at the finish line of faith. Hey, I'm ordained. I'm done, (laughs) y'all. Right? That's not how it is. We may see baptism as the finish line instead of the beginning of being a disciple. Maybe we see confirmation as the finish line. Not here at a different place I was serving. I had a church and uh, as a family that, that came into the church, I wanted to confirm their children. And I said, well, this is about the starting point. It's not the finish line. And, and they were all about it, right? And then they went through confirmation, and then their child was confirmed, and they didn't show up for a long time. And I called them, and they said, well, we're kind of done. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of done. We can see uh, baptism as a finish line or confirmation as a finish line. We might see membership as a finish line. Hey, I joined the church. I'm done. I'm in spiritual retirement. (laughs) But all these things are not finish lines. They're all starting points for our faith. We're all tempted as human beings to see church as a place for religious consumerism. Not that... We don't want to meet people where we are. Of course we want to meet people where they are, just like Jesus. But we can't be people who are consumers and be disciples. Jesus wants us here today to be people who seek and are transparent. This is where I need healing, God. This is where I need forgiveness. This is where I need to forgive somebody else. This is how I need to help heal someone. This is a place where I feel alone and I need connection. This is a place where I need to bring somebody connection. These are destructive behaviors I have, I'll be honest with you, God, and I need to stop them. Those are things we do as a disciple of Jesus. And to answer those questions, we have to stop. Elijah stopped because he was exhausted. We have to stop and learn from our experience. Years ago, uh, I was in a leadership um, training course, 
And the teacher said to the class, he said, look, who here thinks you learn from experience? And most everybody raised their hand. And he said, you're wrong. You don't learn from experience. You learn from reflecting on your experience. The way we grow as disciples of Jesus is we learn to reflect on our experience. We stop. We make time to share these things to God, share where we are, what brought us here. Here's what God was searching for. And then we listen to what God has to say. And there's a text that Austin read when Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I'll give you peace. One of my favorite authors reads that text and says, This is Jesus inviting us to experience this beautiful rhythm of grace.